Welcome to Slay Church. We are so glad that you're tuning in today and pray that wherever you are, this message will bless you. If this impacts you in any way, we would love to hear about it. Send an email to mystory@slatechurch.com. Cool. Hey, how's everybody doing? Said, how's everybody doing? Good. Uh, you can yell bad, too. It's, that's totally fine. Um, good to see everybody. Why don't you uh, give a couple of high fives and uh, take a seat. Take stock of who you're sitting next to, whether or not you're uh, excited. Oh, this is a little off center. Hey, there we go. Now I'll be able to see you guys. <clears throat> cool. Is everybody enjoying 2020 so far? Yeah? If uh, not... That's, uh, that's too bad. We're only five days in. It's going to be a long year. <laughs> Unless, like, anyway, I'm going to move on from that. Uh, I've got a lot of things i got to say today, and I'm just so excited to see everybody. And uh, this is one of my props that I'm going to be using. Can we thank Rachel for doing such a great job? Thank you, Rachel. All right. And it'll, all of this will make sense in, uh, in, in just a, a little bit. All right? Um, you guys look good today. Yeah, come on. You uh, you look bright and excited to be in church. Some of you are like like maybe just like like what are, what am I a part of right now? And uh, that's okay. As Beth, Pastor Beth, introduced me. My name is Brandon Richardson, and I'm one of the lead pastors here. I think we've got an image, just so you guys know who. Uh, yeah, that's my wife Emma. Isn't she so beautiful? Um, isn't she so beautiful? Some of the guys are like, are we allowed to clap for that? That's, this is awkward. That's my pastor. And uh, we pass alongside my brother and sister-in-law, Luke and Victoria Betger. And uh, we absolutely love uh, pastoring here at Slate Church. And actually, Luke and Victoria are in Ottawa today. Luke is speaking at a church called My Church. And uh, I'm really excited for them. And uh, I'm, I'm just so excited that as a church, we get to bless so many other churches as so many other churches have blessed us over, uh, over the past two and a half years we've been at church. Um, welcome to Slate Church. I, I'm going to get into it uh, right away, and I'm just going to give you a forewarning. I am seeing a lot of new faces. Can we just uh, welcome everybody who's here for the first time, uh, say welcome to Slate Church. To give you a little bit of context, you're sitting in our 11 a.m. It's our second slash third service of the day. Uh, we have five services across three locations. So right now in Elmira, uh, uh, Pastor Nathan Lambert, he's getting up. He's speaking over there. And uh, that's really exciting. Then we also have night services at our Waterloo PM uh, site. And they happen at 4 and 6.30. And God's just been doing some incredible stuff over the last two and a half years. But um, we're really excited about what he's going to do today in this service. And uh, I want to give you a bit of a heads up because I see some new faces. I'm going to be talking very candidly uh, moving into 2020. Uh, I'm going to be speaking very directly at maybe where we're at as a church and where we need to be uh, setting our sights a little bit higher. Uh, if anything offends you, um, good, because uh, it wouldn't be too many weeks before you're offended at some point here at Slate Church. We're, we're not a perfect church. I'm not a perfect pastor. Um, uh, my wife certainly is not perfect, and uh, we're going to, <laughs> she is perfect in every way. She's a, if you've met her, she is the best, and uh, I can never live up to her. I'm so sorry for saying that, and uh, 
But, but honestly, at some point at Slate Church, you're going to get a little, your feathers ruffled a little bit. So better get it out of the way on week one, right? All right. So we're going to, uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to speak a simple message, and it's just titled this. If you're taking notes, remember, note takers get into heaven first. And uh, <laughs> you won't find that anywhere in the Bible. <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't say lies from the stage. Okay. Um, if you're taking notes, the title of this message is A Great Life. Woo! Amazing. Uh, Best title you've ever heard, eh? Um, A Great Life. And we're going to talk about this because we're starting a new decade. I mean, people are making such a big deal about 2020, aren't they? And I'm so tempted to make all the pastor jokes and reveal 2020 for us as a church is going to be a year of clarity, 2020 vision. And we're all going to make all these dad jokes. I'm so tempted. I'm not going to um, because that's not where we're headed as a church at all. But... um, we're making a big deal about the decade. Anybody who's been watching like uh, decade recaps on like Sportsnet or, or uh, Sports Center or like I got some people that are like, no. But if you know, you know. <laughs> Misplays of the decade. Anybody been watching that? Come on, some of the people are like, like, like yeah, like <laughs> a little bit. Anybody been watching fail videos on YouTube, the top fails the last th- Everybody's like, yeah, it's my guilty pleasure. And so, listen, we've been making a big deal about the decade, but who knows, we're heading into a new decade, new opportunity, fresh opportunity. God's going to do new stuff, and we're really excited about it. We're going to talk about a great life, okay? And if you want to turn with me to John chapter 3. If, you're, uh, if you, you've never read the Bible, it's the fourth book of the New Testament. The New Testament is the part of the Bible that looks back on the life of Jesus, okay? Uh, the Old Testament, maybe you've heard of that, is the part of the Bible that looks forward to the coming of Jesus. New Testament, part of the Bible that looks back on the life of Jesus. John is the fourth book in the New Testament. And John is a fascinating guy, followed Jesus for uh, the three years of ministry that Jesus had while he was here on earth. And, uh, you know, he writes cool stuff about himself because when you're writing about Jesus, you get to write whatever you want, really. Now, I not take that within context because I understand what that means theologically. But he puts stuff in there like uh, he, he calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. And I'm just like, if I'm writing about Jesus, I'm also going to slide that in there as well. He tells stories about foot races with another disciple, Peter, and says how he won. The disciple who, whom Jesus loved beat Peter to, G- to Jesus. Like, this guy is, is uh, he's incredible. I love John. I love the Gospel of John. And in um, the Gospel of John chapter 3, which is where we're going to find ourselves, uh, find ourselves this morning, uh, it's telling a story. Uh, Jesus is teaching a guy named Nicodemus. He's a ruler of the law, teacher of the law. And then it gets into um, talking about John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was called John the Baptist because, get this, he was baptizing a lot of people, okay? And so they are really creative with names way back when, and they called him John the Baptist. And it says, after Jesus was talking, uh, teaching Nicodemus in verse 22, it says, after Jesus was teaching him, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were, were constantly coming to be baptized. I you just love the motivations in scripture sometimes and how deep they are. Like, like, get this, okay? The reason he was baptizing, it says, it says now John was baptizing in this place because there was plenty of water. <laughs> How many of us in the room, like we are looking for such deep reasons to be motivated by God. We're like, well, how does God know 
that I should go do the work of God. And here John is. He's like, well, there's a lot of water here. Let's do the work of God. You know, like that's his motivation. He's, he's like, okay, there's water here. There's people. Let's baptize some people. Goes on to say, this was before John was put into prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew. <laughs> I wonder who this certain Jew was. It's just like, it's like everybody not telling the story, it's like you know who the, the Jew was, the certain Jew, but nobody wanted to say it. It's like a certain Jew was arguing, Steve, he's always arguing. I would just call him a certain Jew. A certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. Now, this is all about baptizing and ceremonially washing yourself, readying yourself for the things of, of basically religion. That's what the argument's about. But listen to this red herring argument, which is essentially just a way of, of directing the attention of John to something else and just uh, uh, trying to get his mind onto something else. They, they come to John, and it says that they, uh, they came to him and said, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan the one you testified about, Jesus, well, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, a man can receive only what is given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I, that I said, I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater, come on, a great life. He must become greater, I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all, and the one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. The man who has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the word of God, for God gives him the spirit without limit. That's my prayer for us this year, that we would have the spirit without limit. The father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. All right, let's pray, and then we'll break it down. Jesus, thank you for bringing us here. God, it's, uh, it's a wonderful start to the year just to be in your presence and to be with your church. And so, God, we're praying right now that you would have your way in this place. God, may you be glorified. Jesus, I pray that coming out of this place, we would honor you and that, God, we would, um, we would be transformed from the inside out. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I don't know about you, but I, uh, I've been setting some New Year's resolutions going into 2020. Some of them are like decade resolutions. I'm like, at the end of this decade, I want to look like this person. Who knows what I'm going to look like in 10 years from now, although you could use a face app and kind of see. But, uh, you know, you kind of start to predict, okay, I want to be here. This is how I'm going to get here and all the rest. Has anybody been setting New Year's resolutions going into 2020? Um, Every year when I ask the next question, I get more and more responses to this. Anybody just given up on New Year's resolutions altogether? You're like, you know, I'm done with them. Yeah, more people are giving up on them than are setting them. But it's interesting how a new year causes us to think more heavily about ourselves. It causes us to actually um, uh, really get introspective about our lives and, and, and start to really question how we've been living and maybe looking forward to a fresh season thinking, you know what, maybe I need to make some changes in the way that I have been living. And, and of course, a new year is on the heels of a Christmas season. And anybody have a great Christmas season? I just had a lot of time with family, maybe some downtime. Anybody have to work Christmas Day? 
pray. You guys are the best. Anybody who had, oh, I'm so sorry. That was, that was like one person who just went like this. And uh, I was just so sorry for you. But, um, you know, Christmas was good for us as, as, uh, as uh, a family. We got to spend Christmas Day with my mother and father-in-law. In, in I call my mother and father-in-love. And, uh, no, I don't. <laughs> You're like, really, you do? Like, I don't know if I can follow you anymore. Like, this is... Um, and, and we hung out with them on Christmas Day. Then we spent a week at my parents, and it was really great because at my parents, uh, we just had all this time with the kids, and, and it was so amazing. And, and you're always checking in on your kids because as you become uh, an adult and then you have kids and all the rest, you actually get more excited for your kids to open up gifts than you're actually to open up your own gifts. You just wait for them, and you see the surprise on their eyes, and, and then you get surprised because they open up someone else's gifts that they weren't supposed to open. And, and it's interesting because when you ask people how they're doing throughout the season or like, how are you doing today? And everybody's like, good, you know. And when we ask my, my daughter, Kenzie, she's, she's always positive. She's like, yeah, it's good. And, but, you know, with my son, Theo, he's got a totally different response. He's, he's got a response that, that, that really makes a statement to me. Because anytime you ask Theo how he's doing, whether in the Christmas season or after the Christmas season, just about life, you go, Theo, how's your day going? He always responds. He goes, great. And I don't know where he got this from. But it's a perspective that I want to have on life. You know, when we look towards the new year, I, I want to look towards the new year with a lot of faith that, you know what, this is going to be a great year. Now, I don't just want to settle for good, but I actually want to have a great year. I want to have a great year with God. I want God to do some great things through me. I want us to do a lot of great things as a church. I don't just want to settle for the status quo, but I want to have a great year. And here's the thing. Greatness is something that everybody has cared about at some point, whether we want to admit it or not. Some of us have plateaued, but sometimes that's just out of a reality that we felt like we weren't living up to great, so we just settled for okay. But at some point, all of us have had this stirring in our hearts that we were created for more. That maybe 2020 could be the year. That maybe that's going to be the year that we shed some pounds. That maybe that's going to be the year that some great stuff happens in our lives. And you know, it's interesting because as we head into a new year, as Christians, and, and maybe some of us, we, we just do this because we know the principles of Christianity and, and the world that we live in, we actually start mixing the context of the world that we find ourselves in with Scripture itself. And what I mean by this is that there's other Scriptures in the Bible, and I want to refer to, just for a second, Matthew 5. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is speaking a Sermon on the Mountain. I've been coming back to this verse, even preaching on it quite a bit lately, but it starts off in Jesus' teaching, and he says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Now, I know we all know something about this because we've all been to McDonald's, and at one point, they forgot to salt our fries. And you're like, oh, these are terrible. <laughs> And he's like, throw them in the garbage. This is what this is what Jesus is saying. Like, listen, you guys actually bring saltiness to the world that we live in. You, get, you guys bring out the flavors of life. But I love what he goes on to say. He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now, here's the thing. As Christians, we're okay with Jesus being the light of the world. 
we're okay with ascribing to the fact that he's got a, light, a lot of light emanating from him, that he's the son of man, that if we've accepted the reality of God, a lot of us can cognitively and, and, and really understand, okay, Jesus is the light of the world. But so many of us have a hard time when we are face-to-face with the reality of when Jesus says, you are the light of the world. All of a sudden, it becomes more real. It's more raw. And we start asking questions of ourselves. What do you mean I'm, I'm the light of the world? I'm messed up. I'm jacked up. I, I set New Year's resolutions for four or five years in a row, and I, I, I'm still setting the same ones. I, like, I'm going crazy over here. I, I just need to go to the gym once. Like, that's my New Year's resolution. Five years, nothing, you know. And, and you go, I'm the light of the world? Really? But all of a sudden, a new year brings a new thought and a new thought of greatness. And a lot of us get stuck in this, this, this repetitive habit setting, this repetitive goal setting where we go, okay, okay, it's a new year, it's a new me. And we combine the worldly view of setting resolutions and goals and being our best selves. And we combine that with scriptures where, you know, I can do anything through Christ who strengthens me. I am the light of the world. And we take all of this and we go after it and we try to shine our light and we do all of this stuff and we're trying our hardest and we're going and we're thriving and we're or striving and we're, and we're going and we're striving and we're going and we're striving. And what it leaves us as is, is quite exhausted if we're going to be real with ourselves. Year after year, getting more disappointed. But we're like, well, we gotta, I got to be my best self. I got to shine on everybody around me. You know, I went walking in the forest that my parents says this past week, and it's because I've been in the last half of 2019 and, and going into 2020, I just want to spend more time outside. It's not really a goal. It's just something I want to do. Like if I could, I, I've been like reading all these outdoorsy books and now I've got this thing in my head that I could just build something in my backyard and like sleep out there. And my kids will grow up thinking like dad lives outside and it would be super cool. And, and I know some of you are like, that's not cool. But like, like I, I, I'm, I'm trying to spend more time outside. And, and so, you know, I decided to go for a walk. And, uh, and uh, you know, in wintertime, you've got like a narrow window to go for a walk because it's sunny in the winter and you're like, oh, great, it's sunny, I'm going to go for a walk. And by the time you like get your stuff on and get outside, you're like, oh, it's nighttime again because we've got like one hour of sunlight every day. And so we're like walk out and you're going on the, on the path and everything. So I am walking in the pitch dark. My parents live in the middle of nowhere. Okay, they're in the middle of nowhere. I'm not even going to tell you where they live now because I don't want any crazy showing up at my parents' house and like Peter and Bethany Mullen who somehow sleep over there every once in a while. I'm like, what are you guys doing? That's my parents. Like, tell them to stop. No, I'm kidding. Um, but going on this walk and it's pitch black and, and I go out there and it is freaky. Like, I'm, I'm like trying to play it cool. I'm like, I'm, I'm okay. You know, like, and nobody's going to kill me out here. But every little sound, I'm like, Bear! you know, and I'm walking along this path, but the one thing that I got for Christmas is I got this headlamp. And so I'm walking with this headlamp, and it, it's not this. Can you imagine? I was just, like, walking around, like, I got, like, a generator on wheels. I'm walking with it. It's like, but I got this, um, I got this headlamp on, and, and, I'm, and I'm shining it everywhere. And, and the truth is, is that, is that bright? Yeah. Oh, sorry. I'm just going to have to deal with this. Sorry. Um, uh, no, Joel can deal with it. <laughs> sorry, Joel, not sorry. Um, and I'm walking around, and the thing is, is that I can't see much past the light at all. And, 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 and I'm walking, and, and, and I look this way, and I can just see a few trees, but beyond that, it's black. And I walk ahead, and I can see just a little bit in front of me, and, and I can see it, but, but it's, beyond that, it's just dark. 
And I look to this side and I look up and, and it's like I'm in like a, a, a dark box and I can't get out. And, and honestly, every little crack that I didn't make in a, in a twig or something like that, I'm like, ah! And I'm just hoping that somehow like a bear in headlights is going to be scared by my little headlamp. Like if I just shine them at it real quick, maybe I'll just like let it go. Like run away. And I'm freaking out and I'm going about this. And, you know, I, I just had this moment while I was walking and I think it, it's, all of this is going to tie in in just a moment. I have this moment with God where, where I'm, I'm out there, and really the reason I'm out there is to pray and connect with God. And I just felt like, you know what, just turn off your headlight. And so I turned off my, you're welcome, Joel. I took off my headlight, headlamp, and all of a sudden, my eyes began to adjust. And I started looking around, and I started realizing all of the things that I was missing. I started looking around, and I started realizing, like, wait, it's a lot more bright out here than I thought. All of a sudden, the light of the moon is lighting up areas of the forest that I couldn't see before with my headlamp. And the most impressive thing to me was this entire time I was walking and feeling like I was alone and, and it was just pitch black and everything else. Is I just looked up and all of a sudden I see all these stars in the sky and they're shining with such a glorious light. And I'm going, I've been missing this because my own light pollution is getting in the way of what God's doing all around me. You know, it's interesting because going into 2020, there's such a temptation to put such a focus on ourselves and our missions on earth and what we're here to do and my purpose and my truth and my best self. And there's such a temptation to say, you know what, I'm going to shine so stinking bright this year. I'm going to be my best self at the end of 2020, going into 2030, I'm going to be my best self. And we're like, I'm just going to shine everywhere. And we take verses and we take the world's text and, and we combine it together and we go, I, you know, I'm going to let my light shine so that men might be directed towards Christ. But really what we're just saying is I want people to see me. And the problem with this is that our own attempt to be seen by everybody around us, and look, I went to the gym this year, and look, I shed 10 pounds this year, and look, I read this many words this year, and look, I did this this year, and all of it ends up actually pointing back at us. And some of us are wondering why year after year after year, we're failing to see the, the immenseness of who God is. And I just wonder if we were to turn off the light pollution in our lives and get rid of ourselves as the star of our own narrative of our lives, I wonder what would happen. Would we be able to see the light of Christ shining so deeply inside of us, the light of Christ shining so, so immensely around us? Would we be able to see what God is doing in the world and not just our own self-centered selves trying to be our best selves? Are you with me today, Slate Church? Because God does want us to have a great life. But you notice what John says in this narrative we have read this morning, is he actually says, I must be, or, or Christ must become greater, and I must become less. He points to Christ and he says, He must become greater. I must become less. Now listen, I, I said I was going to talk to you guys like leaders this morning. Is that okay? Because I think that it's time for us to actually start stepping it up a little bit as a church. You know, Slate Church started two and a half years ago on the premise that if we just try to start a church to see people that are far from God come into a relationship with him, what might just happen? Like, what could happen if a bunch of people just gave up 
all of themselves for the cause of Christ. What could happen if we set out and try to see people far from God come into relationship with him? You know, we've seen incredible things happen over those years. We've seen God shine his light pretty bright in our lives, haven't we? We've seen him shine it bright, and I'll, I'll turn it from you guys now. I'm so sorry. Can we give it up for these guys? They've been in the, is that okay? But maybe one, one more time. <laughs> I'm going to get back to the light metaphor in just a second. But we've seen God do some incredible things over these past couple of years, haven't we? But here's the thing. We can't forget about the heart by which God had us start this church. So many of us in our attempt to become our better selves, we forget that God actually has created us and commissioned us to exist beyond ourselves. Some of us forget that when we come into church that it's actually not just about us, but it's actually for the people that are around us. Some of us forget, you know, it's, it's interesting, some of us forget that there's actually people right now in the room right now that don't call themselves Christians. And we see everything through the lens of Christianity and what's gonna make us more comfortable as, 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 as people that go to church. Well, why do they sing the same songs over and over again? Like, is there no creativity in the church? It's like, hold up. Do you realize that there's somebody that started coming to church for the first time three weeks ago, and it's the first time they heard any of these songs? So us singing them over and over again is not for you because you can listen to whatever you want at any point in the day, at any point in the week, any month, any year. Put on whatever the heck you want in your own life. But there's people here this morning that need to see the same lyrics up on the screen for a few weeks so they can enter into a heart of worship where it's less about reading off the screen and more about worshiping the God that they have just met. That's where we clap for God. By the way, let's talk to leaders for a second. You know why we clap in church? Oh, this is about to get good. Some people are like, I don't know if I'm going to make it here. I don't know if you're going to make it here either because I'm about to tell you what we're about. We clap at Slate Church not to glorify ourselves but to glorify God. We clap in Slate Church because for some reason I read in my Bible that God deserves our praise, that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And then we come into church and we go, I wish this person beside me would not put up their hands or hitting me in the head. Man, why are they jumping around at the front? So distracting. They're trying to make it all about them. And the whole time, what are we doing? We're making it all about yourself. Well, they want to make it all about themselves. They're not even thinking about you. Why are you thinking about you? Come on, we come to church to glorify Jesus. And if I'm going to bring one of my friends into our church, hold the applause just for a second, but if I'm going to bring one of my friends into our church, what I want them to get is when I proclaim that Jesus is Lord at the gym that I work work out at, when they come into our church, they see that we mean business, that we're actually worshiping God like he's our Lord, that he's actually the the joy of the Lord is actually our strength, that we're actually excited, more excited about God than we are about the junior game that's about to happen at 1 p.m. Because we'll get up in a restaurant at 1 p.m. We'll be like, yeah, come on, Canada. And then we'll come to church and wonder why people are being freaks in church. Come on, let's make some noise for God because he deserves more praise than the Canadian juniors. I love hockey, but I love God more. So I'm not going to allow the world to steal my praise that belongs to God. And I'm not going to allow people to come into our church and mute what God is actually trying to do. God deserves our praise. He deserves our voices. He deserves our jumping and our dancing. What does it say? David danced before the Lord. And when he was rebuked by his wife, you know what he turned to his wife? He said, I'll dance even more indignified than this. 
Come on, who's excited to be a child of God? Who's excited to be in a church that's growing and thriving? Who's excited to be in a church where we see people baptized every single month? Come on, we got to get the joy of the Lord back as our strength because if we don't have that, we're not going to have a whole lot to motivate us into those times where it's going to be a little difficult. But sometimes we allow the voices, maybe not even an outside group, but maybe the inside doubt that starts to creep up in our own minds to detract us from the mission of God that he has on our lives. See this. John, this is my second time doing this, and one of my New Year's resolutions is to um, get a little more cardio in <laughs> this next year. I've been lifting weights for the last year and a half, and I'm starting to realize why you have to be balanced. I'm up here, I'm like, oh, I used to be able to do this. <laughs> oh, man, okay. A year and a half ago, I was 40 pounds lighter. Maybe not quite, 30 pounds lighter. Emma just has more of me to love. <laughs> Did he just say that? Yes, if you're offended by it, sorry. Not sorry. Um, look, check this out, though. John is on a mission from God. We're, we all understand that. That's the narrative of what we read earlier. And he has a pretty... Um, simple uh, reason for doing what he's doing. There's plenty of water. Which, again, can I just draw to the fact that if there's water around, why don't we baptize people? If there's people around, why don't we just preach the name of Jesus? If there's need around us, why don't we meet that need with love? If there's a song to be sung, why don't we just sing it? Let's not search so hard for reasons that we miss the obvious in front of us. But it says that John was also baptizing because this was his mission. This was his calling. And it says he was doing it at Anon near Salim. Because there was plenty of water and, there's more than just water, and people were constantly coming to be baptized. Now listen to what the people that want to knock John off of his mission and his calling start saying to him. Because they come up to him. And they said to John, Rabbi, that man being Jesus, who is with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing, and everyone is going to him. Does that confuse you too? Because I read that it says that there was plenty of water, and people were constantly coming to John to be baptized. Like, let's, let's just picture baptism for a second again. If you haven't been at a baptism service here at Slate Church, it's, it's water. People come up. We kind of delay it. We talk about how cold the water is. We make fun of muscle team. We're like, you guys suck. You know, like, you always make it so cold, you know. And what we're doing is we're like, we're elongating the moment for the person there. Because we want them to know, hey, this is a moment. You're, you're going public with something that, with a decision you made inwardly. And we delay it and everything. But, but listen, John's case, it is a constant flow of people. It says it. He, there was plenty of water, and people were constantly coming to be baptized. John is literally baptizing like this. Person comes along, boom, down, boom, down, boom, down. You know, just like people are getting whiplash. So like, 
suing John for whiplash. Man, like don't even know they got baptized. They're like, come through. And all of a sudden, some people, some opposition. You don't, you don't even have to see it as people, but you could see it as opposition. Opposition sets in, and what does it say? Everyone is going to that other guy. Now, here's the thing. We don't actually need the reality that it was Jesus they were going to. <laughs> John exists. He's like, that's what they're going to. Great. Like, that's, we don't even need that reality to draw out the lesson that sometimes when we are pursuing what God has on our lives, and listen, we preach so many messages that help you, so let's preach a message that helps our church at the same time. So many times when our church is pursuing the mission that God has given us, there will be naysayers, some of them being us, I'm talking to you right now, and sometimes it's just the voices in our head that start coming out and start making everyone's statements. He's constantly having people come, boom, 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 and naysayers come and say, everyone is going to jail. Well, that's funny because I have a constant line here of people that are being baptized by me, and you're telling me that everyone is going over there to be baptized, then what is this? But so many of us will get involved in something like serving, and then all of a sudden we'll go, oh, I heard one person burnt out at serving at Slate Church. You know, that church, they just, oh, they just burn people out. That's why I don't want to get involved, because they're just going to burn me out. Everyone gets burnt out at Slate. You see how this starts connecting with our own thoughts? and our, All of a sudden, one person leaves, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, everything's on fire. Everyone is leaving Slate Church. All of a sudden, one person is reading more of the Bible than you are, and you go, everyone reads the Bible more than I do. All of a sudden, you hear somebody read more books than you, that everyone reads more than me. Everyone listens to more podcasts than me. Everybody's more diligent in their faith than me. Everybody forgives easier than me. Everybody serves longer than me. Everybody's getting burnt out like me. Everyone's, and here's the thing, the opposition will always show up with ultimatum statements and cause you to choose between black and white and cause you to doubt what God is actually doing in your soul and what God needs us to do in 2020 is to pick up our mission to look at what he's doing and go, you know what? you're wrong some people might be hurt but there's a lot of people coming and meeting Jesus and we're going to continue what he's doing in our church (laughs) clapping like you half believe it or maybe you're clapping like you're halfly nervous because you've been having some it's the thought isn't wrong but what we do with the thought is what matters listen we can make excuses all day long for why somebody might get hurt or somebody might lose their faith, or walk away from it, or, or do all of these things. And John recognizes that, yeah, there's a few less people lined up. I don't have to have as many people helping me baptize all these people. But if it's for the end of God, who really cares? Because Jesus needs to get the glory anyway. But here's the thing. When we come to church and we serve in him, we've got to stop falling into ultimatum thoughts in our brains that keep us from doing the work of God because God needs us to start focusing on not just ourselves, but on people that exist outside the four walls of our church it's amazing what starts to happen as we start comparing ourselves to the people around it's amazing what starts to happen as we start comparing the thoughts and the negativity and the doubt to what's actually it's amazing because we start losing sight of the everyone who's lining up to see Jesus move in their lives and we start focusing on all the things that we don't need to focus on 
You know, I, I hear this. <clears throat> Mind if I get a little raw? You guys okay? Yeah. Feeling good? Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting because one thing that I hear a lot is, is, you know, last year, our second year anniversary, we celebrated 1,000 people coming and making a decision to follow Jesus in our church. I want to just take a little praise break right now and thank God for what he's doing in our church. Like, that's, that's amazing. One thing I hear over and over again, yeah, yeah, but, but how many people ended up in your church? Excuse me? Like, that's, that's what you want to say first after hearing about all that God's doing. Well, you manipulated them into, oh, really? We're that good? Here's the thing. I don't care. Honestly, it's up to God what he does with those people after they raise their hand after making a decision to follow Jesus. That's not up to us. But if my first time of raising my hand in church and then walking away from him for a season of my life discounted what God did in that moment of my life, then who else is here that we can't count on what God's been doing in our lives? Because God does something in a moment and then it needs another moment and then it needs another moment and then it needs some more seed from God and then it needs some more watering from God. and then it needs some more sun from God and then it needs some more time from God because all of us are works in progress and I'm not going to make any excuses for people that say I want to make the first step towards being transformed by this God that I didn't know anything about but all of a sudden I'm experiencing so much joy from all of a sudden I have a, a perspective larger than myself I think we need to start celebrating what God is doing rather than making excuses for what humans might not be doing Come on, we're a church that exists to see people far from God come into what? Come on, aren't you so glad that God took that first step towards you at that point in your life when you were so down and out and isolated and feeling frustrated and at the end of your line and not wondering, wondering how you're going to be able to? Aren't you glad that God took a step towards you? Aren't you glad that God began to draw your heart unto him? Aren't you glad that these, listen, church, we need to start celebrating what God is doing in our church. We need to start recognizing what he's doing. We need to start recognizing the constant stream of people that are lining up saying, I need an experience greater than myself. I need to meet a savior that can save me from myself. I need a way out of the sin that is in my life. I need a reality that is greater than the world that I'm living in. I need something greater, and it's time for us to start celebrating what with everything that we've got and not doubting the work that God's doing. John is, is, is confronted with an ultimatum, an ultimatum that for so many of us would start going, oh, yeah, well, yeah, I did notice a few less people in that last service. Like, is God still doing something in our, in our church? A, a thought that would creep into some people where, I made a decision to follow Jesus, and all of a sudden, start going, well, yeah, I guess, I guess a bad thing did start happening in, in, my, in my life. Maybe, maybe that was a, maybe God's not really near to me. Maybe, maybe that was just a moment where everything was worked up, and he actually wasn't moving in my life. You know, when we're faced with opposition that puts in front of us an ultimatum, everyone, Everyone is leaving you. I think we need to meet it in 2020 with the same heart that John met it with. 
Actually, you know what? That's fine. As long as Jesus becomes greater, I've got to become lesser. The focus of this entire thing isn't on me anyway. I'm not in competition with God. I'm not in competition with the world. I'm not in competition for these things. I'm with God, and God has me. And just because someone's doing more than me doesn't mean that I don't pick up what God's given me and run with it. Just because someone's reading more than me, just because someone's listening more than me, just because someone's serving more than me, just because someone's doing more than me, just because someone seems to be loving more than me, just because it, it doesn't mean that I don't pick up what God's given me and continue to walk with it till God calls me home because we all have a call from God and we all need to walk it out with the diligence that God will provide us. And so John carries on and he says, well he must become greater and I must become less. You know in Matthew 20 this theme of greatness um, I guess it's not continued because because it actually this this encounter happens after the story of John. But a bunch of disciples are, are hanging out, and, and they just come off of Jesus doing some incredible things. And Jesus catches them um, having a conversation about who's greater amongst them. Now, just imagine this. There's 12 of them. They're all there. They're with Jesus. Jesus is just kind of like hanging out with them. And they get into a conversation about who's the greatest. And Jesus has to confront this conversation literally being the greatest person that's ever lived. <laughs> and he walks into this, this, this social situation and this social dynamic, and he walks in, and do you notice that he doesn't actually rebuke them for the conversation that they're having? And it's interesting, so many of us expect the moment that we get out of line that God's gonna be there with lightning bolts and, and things that, it, that, that is really just out of Norse mythology, like Zeus is gonna pop up. Our God is not Zeus. Thank God God is not Zeus. We just think he's going to show up like that, but he walks into the circle, and what does he say to them in Matthew chapter 20? He says, whoever wants to be greatest must be the greatest servant of all. What he does is he starts to flip the narrative on itself because in 2020, in the start of a new year, it's so easy to start getting into competition with one another. Well, I gotta, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do better than that person this year. I'm gonna look better than that person. I'm gonna read more than that person. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, run more than that person. I'm gonna clean more than that person. I'm gonna bake more than that person. I'm gonna, and we all we're in a comparison zone. And when it comes to faith, we're no less different. And we get into this comparative nature and all the rest. And what we see Jesus outlining for his disciples in this moment when it comes to greatness is he flips it and he says, "Listen, you're not gonna compete with." You're going to compete for. No longer are you going to compete with your brother and sister in the faith. No longer are you going to look at somebody and say, well, they're only able to do that because of this. Uh, they're, they, they seem like they have a good relationship with God, but they're not really. The stem, that what, 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 what comes from gossip is usually this bitterness from one another that we just let out and we unleash it because we are competing with. And God in this moment says, stop competing with one another for greatness. If you want greatness, start competing for people. 
Start serving people. Start loving people. Start stepping into people's circles and showing them how great I am. Start walking into their lives and loving them like nobody has ever loved them. Start walking into their situations and serving them when they're at their most need. When you see a need, let's meet it. When you see somebody down, let's lift them up. When we see someone crying, let's come alongside them and weep with them. When we see someone celebrating, let's stop talking negatively about how they got to that place and let's start celebrating with them. We've got to stop competing with and we need to start competing for. Is this sounding okay, Slate Church? Are you with me? Remember, it's okay to be vocal in church. You're vocal everywhere else. Even in a dang Friends episode. That's so funny. Friends is the worst show. I'm just making sure that the remaining undefended people get offended. <laughs> friends watchers are like the peacemakers in the world. They're like, we love everyone. Until you talk about friends and they're like, I hate you. Like, okay, where did that go? That turned pretty quick. <laughs> hey, a church starts dying when it starts looking inward. A church starts dying when it thinks, when the members and the family members start competing with one another. A church starts dying when it starts speaking negatively about the people that they were actually put there to love. A church starts dying when, when, it, when it implodes inward rather than doing what Jesus is teaching his disciples here and starts fighting for outward. See, we gotta compete for people. We live in a region with 500,000 people. And sometimes I hear, even from our church, like somehow we're in competition with other churches. Can I just say, God bless Koinonia and Brian Ferguson. God bless Creekside and Ken Taylor. God bless C3 Kitchener and Mike Rutledge. God bless all the churches in this region. We don't need less churches, we need more churches because not everybody's gonna respond well to even the message that I'm giving right now. But we need people that are the arm of Jesus. We need people that are the feet of Jesus. We need people that are the legs of Jesus. We need people that are the stomachs of Jesus. Jesus is the head of his church, but we all have a part to play. And a church starts imploding when we start thinking that we're in competition with WPA. And we're in competition with the Lutheran Church down the road and the Anglican Church. And if the United Church got, just got their act together and, and got the flag off their church, they'd be, listen, stop looking at all the other churches and let's start doing what God's called us to do. We've got a mission statement that says we are going to reach people that are far from God with the love of Jesus. And as long as we exist as a church, that will be our mandate. And if we want to feud internally, there's another place for you. We're not competing with our brothers and sisters in the faith. We are competing for people in the world that desperately need Jesus. You know, when we were starting this church, somebody came out and they said, it's just like you're starting a new coffee shop and you're trying to steal all the coffee customers. I looked at them and I said, you, you don't know. Are you kidding me? I said, I'm not competing for a market share. We're actually, we exist as a church, we're going to exist as a church to grow the market share. Not competing for existing Christians. Sometimes Christians are the worst people that come into your church because they bring all their baggage and what they want, to, want you to do. They left this church for this reason, but they want you to become their church that they just left. And why don't you do it like the church that I just came from? Go back to the church you just came from. There's a reason you left it. You left it, not everybody else. Listen. 
We exist to see the market share grow, to see people that have never stepped foot in a church start setting, stepping foot in a church, for people that would never gave religion a chance to see somebody on a stage just so open and like, man, that guy's messed up, and see themselves in me that maybe they might turn to the grace of God themselves and say, you know what, maybe that's for me. Maybe God could love me like that. Maybe this guy's serious. Maybe God could actually rescue me from the pit I find myself in. Slate Church exists. Say it with me to see people far from God come into relationship with Him by building a... Let's stop there. Oh, you guys only care about growth. You only want a large church. Here's the thing. I don't think that God has called us to aim for a small church. It's not a sin to have a small church, but it's a sin to have a small vision. And in order to go to places nobody's gone, we're going to have to do things that nobody's done. And guess what? On the way to doing things that nobody's done, we're actually going to mess up sometimes. We're going to actually hurt people. People are going to get hurt in the process. We're going to keep marching on and making up health and making sure that people get brought into greater health. We're going to create a large church because healthy things grow. Say church exists to see people far from God come into relationship with Him by building a Isn't that beautiful? It's not about your serving. It's not about what the band did or didn't do. It's not about the click track you could hear through the speakers when you thought you shouldn't hear it. It's not about how loud they played it and I thought they were getting more quieter in the morning services. It's not about these people are too close to me and I can't raise my hands. It's not about how stuffy the room feels. It's not about how Listen, this is about people that aren't yet here in the room right now. You know what? That chair is going to be filled with someone that needs to know the love of God. That chair right there, that chair right there, that chair right there. In fact, you know what? Just that empty space that we've been leaving open to show you that there is more room in this church for people that don't yet know Jesus. This entire place can be filled with the glory of God. If we unify ourselves around a vision that God first loved us, he must be able to love other people because if he can love me, he can love my neighbor, he can love my family members. He can love my cousin. He can love my kid. He can love my son. He can love my daughter. Heck, he might even be able to love my boss because I know how wretched I am. But if he's willing to accept me, he might just be willing to accept the whole lot of people that live around me. But so many of us, let's be real, we're so ineffective in our ability to reach people with the love of God. I'm going to go a few minutes late. Is that okay? Come on, I, as lead pastors, we want to start off 2020 not looking back and going, oh, what if? Or I want, we want to start off 2020 and going, you know what? What does the future look like? What, what, what could we do as a church, as a united front? What could we do if we just all got our heads together? Listen, so many of us are wondering, well, how do we find people that are far from God? And the reality is, is that we've just surrounded ourselves with Christians, haven't we? come to church on Sunday, we go to our connect group on Tuesday, maybe Wednesday, go to our serving nights and hang out with, and, and that's our social lives. And we wonder why we can't find people that are far from God and strike up a conversation with them. Listen, we've got to break down the walls of our religion and reach out to people on the margins of faith. Jesus saying that he came from the 
for the brokenhearted, the lame, the widow, the orphan. He came for those on the margins of society. In Luke chapter 3, he breaks it wide open and he says, I came for these people. In order to reach people on the margins, guess where we've got to go as a church? We've got to go to the margins. We've got to be willing to travel to the places nobody else has traveled. We've got to be willing to make friends with maybe people nobody's made friends with. We've got to be willing to have it said about us as it was said about Jesus. They hang out with sinners and we've got to be willing to bring those people that look a lot more like we did before Christ back in relationship with him because the children of God need to come home and back in relationship with him and find their spot in a loving relationship with God. But we've got to break out of our own religion and start competing for people and not with each other. I'm going to finish with this. I'll just finish with this. John knew where his source of strength came from. He outlines the whole gospel and talks near the end of the narrative of what we talked about. He says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. See, John was selfless, and he realized that he was living this life not for himself. He realized that 2020 wasn't for him, but it was for God. And he realized that even in the mission that he was pursuing that was given to him from God, the end result always needed to be Jesus. You know, if we're trying to shine so bright in 2020, we might miss out on the fact that God's light actually shines brighter. If we've got the headlights on in our lives, we might miss the stars that God's created. We might miss what he's actually trying to do. And I really believe in 2020, we have an opportunity to rush forward with the promises of God, with the spirit of God, with the love of God. If we stop trying to muster up enough strength to be our best selves and just give ourselves over to the Holy Spirit and allow him to strengthen us, allow him to encourage us, accept the free gift of salvation every day as a reality in our lives that we live through and allow the, Christ to emanate, allow the light of Christ to emanate through us. So many of us were trying to so hard to work up our own strength and our own might to do everything that I just said. But I wonder what would happen if we actually just stopped trying to shine our light and we just started getting into the light of Christ. Now listen, this is, I wish it, I wish this could glow even brighter, but can we bring down the lights just for a second? Because so many of us strive to shine our light, but I really believe if we actually just got inside of the light of Christ and this is a glow up, hockey ball. <laughs> Stole it from Theo. I think some of us are making this Christian faith and the walk of Christ so much harder than it needs to be. John's not competing with Jesus and neither are we. But if we can find ourselves in the light of Christ, we don't have to work too hard at emanating the light of Christ. It just comes out of us. Do you remember the story of Moses? He comes down from meeting with God for 40 days and 40 nights. His face is shining so brightly, they, t they tell him to put a veil over it. They go, we can't, we can't see it. Listen, our goal as a church is to emanate the light of Christ. 
We don't need glory for what God's doing. All we need to do is we need to get into his light and stay there and stay there and stay there. And in 2020, you want to live your best self? Get yourself into the light of Christ. You want to be great? Take on the greatness of Christ, not the greatness that the world offers for us. You want to be great? Just get yourself before God. Get yourself in the presence of the Holy Spirit because even when you think you've lost sight of Christ, you're still going to emanate the light of Christ because of the time you spent with him, because the Holy spirit that just wells up out of you and you'll find yourself continually coming back to the light of Christ over and over and over again. Can we bring it back up the lights? See 2020 I don't want to look like trying to emanate all this on myself. Listen this is a message to say, say church God has done a lot of great things in two and a half years. But sometimes I'll walk into Slate Church and I, I wonder if we think that we've reached all 500,000 people in our region already. The way I talk to some of us, it feels like this church exists for you and it doesn't. It doesn't exist for me. I think 2020 is a year of a great life, a great church, a great God, a great calling, a great multitude calling on the name of Jesus for the first time. What we need to continue to do is what, do what John did and remind ourselves it's not about my team. It's not about my serving. It's not about the people coming to me. It's not about everyone that's going away from me. This is about Jesus and Jesus only. This is about his name and making him famous. This is about putting ourselves in the light of Christ and allowing other people to see him as his light emanates out of us. Can I get everybody to stand up in this place? Thank you for watching. Again, if you were impacted by this message in any way, send an email to mystory@slatechurch.com. You can also visit slatechurch.com and fill out one of our online connect cards. We would love to see you in person at one of our Sunday services. As well, you can stay connected with us by following us at Slate Church on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.